Hey everybody, my name is Aiden Mattis. This is Thorn Bussy. That's Piper CJ, and welcome to the Lore Lodge. <laughs> um, I think, are we actually, can they hear us this time? I have no idea. Oh, good. I wonder if they can hear her. That's the real question. Yeah, that's, that's what really matters. Oh, um, yeah, so, sure. I, yeah. I'm Piper. This is. I'm just going to talk randomly until someone confirms whether or not they can hear well, me. I, mean, you could I know a lot of shit about a lot of random hear. shit that will never be... Okay, let's be fair. We've seen levels before when they can't hear. That is very true. So we're going to wait for our YouTube audience to tell us whether or not they can actually... Is that what we're doing? Okay. Might as um, well. <laughs> they can definitely hear us. So uh, <laughs> to give everybody a quick glimpse of what we're doing today... Um, we're going to talk about a few things. Uh, we're going to start off conversation about the Fae because that is a topic that is very commonly spoken of, especially on TikTok and YouTube, but very rarely do I see it spoken of in an accurate manner. Uh, also, <laughs> just a heads up, they can hear everybody, surprisingly awesome. enough. I, a guest interview Lore Lodge episode that went correctly technologically? That's, Not my doing. That's a Guarantee first. Guarantee um, you that one. It's because I set up the stream. It's because Piper's here. That's all it is. <laughs> so anyway... Hey, I, so we're on my side, but let's... <laughs> Already? Good lord, yeah, this is geez. an interesting start to that debate. Or whatever All right. So, so, the Fae often get misrepresented. It's a term that has a lot of a lot of gray areas and whatnot. We're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to do some talking about Tolkien, which we've done before, because we had Don Marshall on, and he was phenomenal. We're going to be talking about Tolkien and his influence on the fantasy world, and then we're going to lead into a little bit of a discussion about world building in the fantasy genre, because it is something that when done well, is phenomenal, but is usually not done well. So um, the, the trials and tribulations of putting together a world um, for people to enjoy and to relish, and to talk about that here today, we have Piper CJ. And uh, you want to give us the rundown on who you are? Sure. Um, I am a blonde with a master's in folklore. I write fantasy, and I watch a lot of nerd shit. And sometimes people think it's cool, and sometimes they don't. But I have a lot of um, useless knowledge bounce around here. I'd love to share it. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. That's why you're here, and that's why that we're why we invited you on. So my my first exposure, to you actually had nothing to do with your book. It was a video that you did. Uh, it was a, it was a Witcher related yeah. video when when the I'm sorry. New season she did a Witcher video, out. and I wasn't made aware of it. I think I actually told you about it. Don't think you did. I believe my now I exactly what I did is I said. I, I said something very flattering about her and sent you a, a video. Um, well, was it on TikTok? I've done a number of Witcher video? videos. Yeah, it was. Okay, was it well, the one that was taken down? Um, the one where I had the I was. He said any real Witcher fan would have known this, and so I did my public yeah, apology. See, like, I'm so it was, sorry. That was the one. I had done it. Yeah. Now I, now I feel like a shithead because I would have had the Witcher medallion on. I would have watched some of the stuff beforehand. Now I'm gonna go after the fact to watch your video. We can talk about we can talk about uh, the Witcher. Oh, for a little we're bit gonna here. have for sure. Yeah. Well, you're so, one up in me because it's like way thicker than mine, and it comes out. Of, oh my god, you're killing me, Piper. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, this let's 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 dive into uh, that though. Like, you know, let's let's do some background here. Um, you know, obviously you're a huge history. Uh, huge, ah folklore and fantasy fan um you know where when did that start for you like where was it where's this come from is this something you've always loved or was this a newer development i have never been cool okay so <laughs> we'll like we'll do 10 seconds of it being dark and then it'll, it'll get cool again so just stick with me okay. here grew up super fucking poor which meant no tv but that did mean um my mom would read the chronicles of narnia and tolkien and all of these amazing fantasy novels to my brother and I when we were just wee tots. And so my imagination exploded as a little kid. So I'm busy living in Narnia 
while my peers are watching cartoons, which, you know, now I love cartoons. I've finally gotten to come back to that. <laughs> but I've always been a nerd. And then at maybe 13, my uncle got me my first um, gaming console. He got me a GameCube. Oh. And I immediately became so good at, at Ocarina of Time. So huge Zelda fan. And I used to do speedruns of Ocarina of Time, but I've I've stuck with the nerd thing. I've never let it go. I've stayed a nerd forever. And now now people care about it. Like I've just now that I started talking about folklore and TikTok, suddenly it's valid, um, which is great. Let's keep that going. Mm-hmm. Why not? That, I mean, that was my that was like point for point, almost exactly the same as my experience growing up. Except I was allowed to watch TV. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we had we had one. Mine was <laughs> like I wasn't allowed to play like games until high school. Uh, my parents were like, it's not good for you. One like, of my best friends sure didn't see that. Spongebob for the first time until he was like 16. Yeah, that's excessive. Um, it's, people, people, I, I had a friend in high school who uh, was not allowed to watch Harry Potter. Well, here's the weird oh, thing. Yeah. About, I, I assume, yeah, is that, was that a thing for you too? So it would be. My parents were extremely strict, very religious. However, they read Harry Potter first and they were like, mm, don't be a witch, and then gave it to me anyway. And I'm look what you went and did. What you went and did. Well, just the weird thing about me with TV, though, is I would always, like, my mom would always be concerned about how much TV I was watching, but I was actively choosing to watch, like, Discovery, Animal Planet, and History Channel above, like, anything else. She, she, was, she would literally, like, say to my dad, she's like, I feel like he's watching too much, but he's just learning. So, like, how can I punish him for that? Mm -hmm. And I still do it. Like, most of my free time on YouTube is just, like, instructional or educational videos because I'm a nerd. But anyway, yes. Going back. How dare you expand your horizons in a way that is a media format. It's disgusting. I'm pretty disgusted, honestly. We could end the stream now. We should be ashamed. I'm so sorry that you had to witness me. But I will say, for all for all of the many societal ills that social media has caused, um, this has been one that I think is really cool. And this is how we both found our niche, I think, is that like you can, if you are somebody who's good at communicating information and talking mm -hmm. about these concepts that people do have very genuine interest in, but it's just kind of hard sometimes to find a format that you like and that you can really sit down and enjoy, um, you know, TikTok and Instagram and YouTube have definitely opened up an avenue there for people to... Uh, people like us um, to, to do that kind of thing. And, like, you went from, God, what, you had, like, less than 200,000 followers on TikTok three weeks ago? Yeah. And now uh, it's when it. you and I met, I was at 50K because I was just making Witcher content, mm -hmm. basically. And um, now I'm at 420, 425, something like that. But um, people, so I, I thought it would be funny. Just I woke up one morning, mm -hmm. and the first thought out of my brain was about vampires. And I, so I recorded a video, and I had not woken up yet. And it did so well that I thought, okay, so not awake professor, that's great. Because mm -hmm. that's the kind of me that cannot prepare. I have no thoughts in my head except it's already there. Here you go. And people have responded to disheveled, tenured, unbrushed hair, not awake yet professor teaching folklore. That's my niche. And it's going well. <laughs> You're killing me. I would say so, yeah. Based I, off I the couple, numbers I just heard, good lord. I had a couple people send me some of your videos, and they were like, dude, she's stealing your thing, and I was like, it's not my thing. Like, yeah. Also, information yeah. is free. Yeah, go for it. Like, you can do that. I don't care. Yeah. I'm, I'm encouraging her, yeah. like, actively. <laughs> That's why she's here. <laughs> and the way we present information is so different. Like, it's, just, it's not like, 
only one person can be a history professor. And like the way that you talk about folklore and the way that I talk about folklore is apples and oranges. Yeah, it's so, very different. No, no, I did message you saying, have you done Mothman? Because I want to do Mothman Monday. <laughs> and then the night before I did, you swept in and stole my fucking thunder. Okay, in our defense, we have a fan who was begging us to do Mothman. She's in the chat right now. We still have a Lore Lodge video like for Friday that, <laughs> yeah. we have, that I have to edit for it. Uh, but that's like, uh, uh, what's... Cursing, cursing is fine, right? <laughs> yeah, you're fine. Um, yeah, no, you're, you're fine. Yeah, it's, we, we try to keep it mostly family-friendly, but like PG-13 is the rating on this show we've determined. Um, so it, some of the it. so I I do want to you know kind of do a hard segue in here because we could obviously talk about this for forever. But uh, speaking of folklore and things that people love, the Fey. Um, what? Yeah. I, so for people who are dumb and ignorant like me, what is a Fey? I'm gonna let her take that one because she's got the master's degree. Piper, what is a Fey? Oh, not only do I have it, but I sure like to flash it because I've never done anything with it in the world except for show it on TikTok. I feel you. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, I will talk to you, Tech Aiden, and yes. describe Faye to you. I'm ready to Think learn. of Faye like the word mammal, where on the outside perspective, there is this baggage that comes with the word like Faye, where we think like, oh, the Faye are bad, or the Faye are good, or et cetera, et cetera. Or especially with Tolkien, which we'll get into later, people immediately will jump to like a sexy pop culture view of Faye. But Faye, like mammal, could mean fucking, I'm uh, sorry could mean anything <laughs> we could be thinking of otters or elephants we could be thinking of humans mm -hmm. or um a mouse so fae is such a broad category that when people think of the fae it's it you can't you can't you can't just think of the fae you fae is just anything beyond the veil that interacts um how more aiden how would you describe fae yeah, so I I do that thing where I take a very academic route to get here. <laughs> but So the etymology of the word fae is from uh, fair folk or fairies. And so that's it enters English uh, in that form around the 16th or 17th century mm -hmm. and uh, becomes a very broad term as it gets out of Irish folklore. So this the, the concept of the fair folk, the Tua de Danan, um, who are the the children of uh, essentially the children of the the gods? Um, mm -hmm. They're this sort of in in Christianity. They're a uh, in in post Christian uh, versions of the story. They are more like elves almost. But okay. we believe, based on the names of some of these beings, uh, that they were the Irish pantheon of gods because some of them are extraordinarily similar to both Celtiberian, continental Celtic, and Brythonic. Uh, traditions and names and stories, Kernunos, uh, the Dagda, mm. some of these um, other figures, the Morrigan. And that's one thing I've always found interesting about it is how they, their names are also titles. Um, but no, so, and we did a video a while back on the uh, the Book of Invasions, the Leibniz and the Evan. Yeah, um, oh, I remember you saying that a lot of yeah. times. So that, that's where this fair folk concept comes from. Mm. Uh, they retreat into the fairy mounds and then... So um, again, for those who are fully uneducated, what are the yeah. fairy mounds? Fairy mounds. Can I can I can I stop you before we go too sure. deeply into this? Because I'm using the word fae from a global perspective. Whereas mm -hmm. if we do go into the etymology, we're thinking of words like I use the example banshee, which mm -hmm. comes originally from we're talking about like Gaelic origins, but banshee can be thought of as a category of death omen. Mm -hmm. And so the, since the point of language is communication, I frequently argue that etymology does not matter in this context because we're not communicating specifically on mm -hmm. a linguistics level. 
we're talking to an audience from around the world. And so when I want to talk about a forest deity, I can use the word nymph, whether I'm talking mm -hmm. about the Curupida in Brazil, or if I'm talking to someone in Greece, or if we're talking about Celtic lore. So when we go too deeply into Fae um, in Irish or Celtic mm -hmm. or Gaelic or Welsh lore, I think we really pigeonhole ourselves. Um, whereas when you think about it as a category of those beyond the veil, then you can mm -hmm. open up a global audience and then start discussing those within. So just if you if you yeah. do want to keep it etymological, we can do that. But I just don't think that's a fair. Oh no, I, I want to talk about the broader meaning. I just I I, I you're he, going he knows me. I like I like yeah. to go into like the origin of the word. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> sure. yeah. his whole mentality is like let's go where with it's like let's start with where it started and then work our way to the present. Yeah, because he's a history and person. Again, we can start where, where the word face started, but not where the concept of face started. Yeah, exactly. And that's, mm. I think that, that's where we're like, yeah, sorry. Yeah. That's where I was jumping in. Where I'm like, yeah. yes, yes, so, yes. But the that, word that, fae, that was going to be my next fae. my next point is as we've moved from the you know the as we moved into a more global world, and especially with the advent of the printing press and the expansion of literacy, this term took on a new meaning where it became something to refer to everything. Beyond the Veil, mm -hmm. uh, everything from specifically fairies and elves all the way down to brownies and tommyknockers. And, um, you know, it's it's even made its way, as Piper was saying, into, you know, you can use Fae to describe pretty much any supernatural entity. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, not any, but I don't know that I necessarily say, consider, like, demons Fae. But would you? Actually, I, I, yes. So I would say that angels and demons are the lenses that we have used in a religious terminology so that when we are looking at Fae from a religious background, if you're approaching it from a Christian perspective, for example, just cherry pick a religion, um, you're going to look at a potentially Fae encounter or lore encounter, and you're going to look at it in a way that your description won't be morally neutral. You'll want to put positive or negative energies onto it in a way that would give it a categorization of angel or demon. So as a folklorist, I would say that they are fae, but that's because I use fae as such a broad mm. category. And we can talk about specific demons or specific angels and specific lore, but I keep... Fae right. is... Fae do be big. Fae is like the kingdom level of the, mm -hmm. the taxonomy here. Yeah. All right. I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, at, so at what point, I would ask this next... Um, at what point do you, and do you at all, uh, as a folklorist, draw a line between fae versus gods? Mm, yeah, so fae is generally our lesser, and then we go into deities. So um, I would draw the, the line between, like, let's pull... I mentioned Baba Yaga the other day because mm -hmm. she's more of a death deity rather than our boogeyman lore. So when I was going into um, talking about fae or things that we've created for folklore purposes and then how they can deviate where she could still be a category that we use linguistically to describe a boogeyman, but she is not one. Mm -hmm. um, the difference has to do with not only how the lore is transmitted, but also um, can you defeat her? What is her purpose? What is her origin? And when you're looking at, like, thousands of years of origin versus, like, oh, yeah, in the 18th century, after that guy, like, took a wife against her will, and then all of a sudden, cellular popped up. Mm. So when we're, there's a, sometimes a specific origin that we can look at. Um, how would you answer the question in favor versus deities or gods? I definitely see them as separate. Um, I think that I, you know, I've, and this, I, I think the part, part of the reason that I personally, in, in my 
you know, breakdown of stuff, the way I, I divide it is definitely based on the, um, to an extent, the origin of the, the word, um, coming out of, uh, Irish folklore, like, like, like we said, um, but I think that the the key difference is exactly that that you know there's they are lesser than than gods they do not have the power of creation, um, which is kind of where I put gods is that they're in charge of something they can take direct action to manipulate um, the natural world whereas something like an angel or a demon can't take that same direct action in most cases and that's why I put them lower that's in my opinion as a um, you know from the theology background that I have that's that's how I separate gods. God from angels, um, if that makes sense. So I think I, I, I kind of look at it in a very similar way, is that it's it it's a power level issue. Would but, you consider a nymph to be a god or a not in your definition? I wouldn't consider a nymph a god, but I'm curious why you asked the question. I, I consider uh, nymphs forest deities because they have the power of growth and creation over the forest and they're mm. often um affiliated with fertility okay. not just with the forest and plants but also with humans and interaction mm -hmm. and so i'm just curious in the terms of power of creation or even um like our demon lore in terms of like incubi and human impregnation that is creation you can have right. that can be unborn out of that experience so if we use creation specifically and intervention with man as our conversation for godhood i feel like we're then we have to include demons and nymphs Right. All right. Well, my fo I have two follow-up questions, and one of them was, uh, where do you put Nephilim on that level, just to really keep things on brand for us? She seems excited about it. Yes. And then I've got another <laughs> follow-up to ask after Take that. Take it away, please. Oh, Nephilim. I love Nephilim. Nephilim are a category of Cambion, so um, I would, in our Nephilim lore, uh, when we talk about like Genesis six two and the God finding the daughters of men beautiful, and then we have our race of giants, um, and then we have much later or earlier, so Epic of Gilgamesh, uh, Succubi, Incubi lore, all the way up to King James and um, Thomas, or Thomas Aquinas mm -hmm. writing about Succubi and Incubi, we have them reproducing with humans and mm -hmm. having very powerful offspring. So the Nephilim would be Cambion, and so if we're going to separate creation as godhood versus angels and demons, I think that Nephilim is a product of creation, right? Yes. But through <laughs> natural means. That's how I'm looking at it. Is is it's not it's not divine intervention. It's cuz that would make us gods then cuz we can create, you know? Though okay. Can it, controversial like let's start sure. a fight in the YouTube comments. <laughs> um, we love those. I I would argue that this is <laughs> I would argue that Jesus could be a Cambion because through she maintained her virginity. It was a dream contact through a divine consummation mm -hmm. that revolved or re resolved in a very powerful entity, and history changing figure. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't the same creation where it was like on point, you know, yeah. it was the dream contact. Mm -hmm. I definitely see what you mean. I've never thought about it that way. Mm -hmm. Here, and give me, I mean, a lot to think about now. It um, makes sense. He's, <laughs> he's one level above Nephilim. That's kind of cool. Uh, well, that's actually what led to Arianism. Um, as a... a, a uh, Arianism? Pelagianism? I think, it, I think it's Arianism. 
if I remember correctly, that I... Describe what you're trying to turn. Yeah, yeah I know. Uh, I'm sorry. So if, if I remember correctly, it is Arianism, where uh, the doctrine of Arius was that Jesus and the Holy Ghost are not themselves God. Mm-hmm. They're more like archangels. They're more like these supercharged angelic beings. Yeah. Um, and this is actually... A lot of people think that the Council of Nicaea mm-hmm. was convened for the purpose of uh, determining the canon of the Bible. Mm-hmm. It was not. It was to address the Arian controversy, mm-hmm. uh, which you know, there uh, people seem... A lot of people think that the church kind of starts with the apostles and then just kind of maintains mm-hmm. from there. Not at all. There were dozens of controversies in the early Christian church where they were like, all right, well, Pelagius says this, and Arius says this, and Augustine says this, and St. Nicholas says this. There's a moment at the Council of Nicaea where St. Nicholas, where Santa Claus, slaps Arius. Um, like, and it's seen as like in the church, they see it as divine fury, righteous fury. Yeah. So he doesn't get in trouble for not, you know, for not being meek and not like reserving himself. Mm. This is like a moment of Jesus with the whip in the temple, driving out the money changers. Mm. So they're, they're seeing Ar- this moment between St. Nicholas and, and Arius is like, St. Nick is just laying down the law. <laughs> um, and that's one of my favorite stories of, of the, that early church period is just cause. <laughs> so I love that. And in terms of laying down the law, going back to my secondary question, mm-hmm. specifically in relation to creation, um, when we're speaking of creation, what type of creation are we talking about? Because there's the bi- biotic, whether it be sexual or just like mm-hmm. kind of like with plants, it's a little bit more of an asexual production in terms of scientifically speaking. And then there are, you know, creations that break the human understood Newtonian and relativity versions of physics uh, that would be deity. You just creation. gave us a fantastic segue into Tolkien. Golden. Um, but yeah, that's my that's kind of my thought process. Is like you know, in terms of levels of creative capability, it seems like there are different levels, mm-hmm. and it's like there is universal creation. There is I don't know if there's something between that and you know us or just like general, you know, yeah, minor deities and major deities. Yeah. yeah, but like what like how would we stratify that? I guess. Well, I was just excited. I didn't know that you had a theology background as well. Yeah. Um, I started my master's in apologetics and religious studies before I was stolen away by folklore and secularism. <laughs> I, so I'm, I'm deeply <laughs> I know. I did like a year of that after I had just come off of my three month immersion in um, Augustinian just war theory, Suicidus Me Inkling, mm-hmm. Tolkien, and then I went straight to my apologetics master's and then to the folklore master's. But they offered me a better deal. In terms of research funding. So, so, what, um, so what you're saying is what brought you away from religion was money? <laughs> Story older than time. Well, so this tiny, yes, no, no. <laughs> I had I had just tended to gravitate in my first year of apologetics courses towards um, demonology and occult studies. And Lewis himself said that he had what he called an unhealthy taste for the occult. It's so much more fun. Mm-hmm. And so the papers that I was writing were taking on a very fun tone. And um, I just happened to send one off to this folklore department. And they were like, yes, please come write papers like that for us. Mm-hmm. And here we are. Um, but we were on creation and deities. So I, I was excited about our theology background. Yeah. We could definitely do an entirely different show oh, yeah. about just theology and spinoff. Like, spinoff. Um, you, you might you might need a special episode of the Weird Bible Podcast for true. that one. I mean, yeah, we do have a monthly podcast with Wendigoon. That's uh, the Weird Bible Podcast, and it's uh, we sit there and we talk about 
weird stuff from the Bible. Hmm. You, you would be welcome to come on. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like my jam. I'm, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I guess I would ultimately boil things down into maybe three categories of faith, where we've got like our lesser faith that only interact, um, and then our minor deities, which can do things like create on a lesser level, and mm. then we have our major deities, which can create on a global scale. Um, but I would, I mean, I, I would call them all Faye, I, mm-hmm. because for me, Faye is just a way that we can communicate. So now let's go into Tolkien if you want to talk about I, I do want to get, get one thing really quick, because I forgot mm-hmm. to ask about it. Um, there's a lot of uh, discourse on the, uh, the witch talk side of things, which I'm sure you've crossed paths with, where uh, they throw the word Faye around in a lot of cases. Um, have you seen anything that's stuck out to you as like a common misconception or misunderstanding in the the Wiccan and witchcraft communities. I'm not on witch talk. I I was brought into it a little bit when I made a video on Lilith, and mm-hmm. someone said you're very brave to have made this video because this is a huge fight right now. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, I did not mean to step into drama. I'm actively trying to not step into drama. Is it the fight between but whether I... or not Lilith is actually a biblical figure? No, for me, it was, um, like, the origin of, so, you know, Liliths would be, like, Lilithu from our Screech mm-hmm. Owl, and so I would categorize those more as, like, Harpies and Banshees, if we're going to be thinking about them mm-hmm. as a d- demonic entity, which is, we could cross over into Succubi lore if we're going to keep going. Um, I I don't feel like there's any evidence to support that there is a goddess Lilith or a single entity Lilith. Mm-hmm. I would not want to discredit a practitioner. I would say that if someone's deity is Lilith and maybe she is um, in contact with a Lilith mm-hmm. that in the singular. Yeah. Rather I, than... I, I definitely came across some of the same exact stuff um, with people saying, you know, that Lilith was Adam's first wife. And I'm like, all right, you can, mm-hmm. you can you're welcome to believe that, but you do need to understand that it does not come from Genesis. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, it, it's a much it later It didn't even version. come from the book it's of Enoch, right? Yes, until the seventh century. So we didn't have that, and a lot of people think it, that he was writing it as parody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the idea that it's now taken so seriously, um, uh, you know, yeah. could, could she have been a Sumerian goddess? She could have, but it wouldn't have been in that context. Yeah. What about uh, yeah. with the uh, the the don't thank the Fae thing is a very common one that I see around, which depending on which sort of fae you're talking about, there are some that you should absolutely thank, like a brownie. Um, if, if they do something nice for you, you're supposed to be nice to them. <laughs> oh, you can be nice to fae without thanking them. Okay. Like, oh my god, this is so considerate. I love it so much. It was so nice of you to think of me. It's very different from thank you. Okay, so you're, you're taking a hard line on the wording here, not necessarily <laughs> the sentiment. Well, the thing is, when you are a human and you're interacting with a fae, do you know that you're interacting with a brownie? I, I just, I would, I would be cautious. Mm-hmm. And so the language that I would use, I would err on the side of semantics because if you're a layman, mm-hmm. you don't know what you're getting yourself into. Right. So I would just, I'd be kind. Always be polite. Be polite no matter the fae. So I'm, I'm about to do it. Don't worry. So for the people who don't know what these things are, uh, <laughs> really quickly, brownies are, I, I categorize them under goblins, honestly, because um, <laughs> goblins I are generally, think... generally seen as like a negative thing entirely, but I feel like it, it's a much better category as like dimin- diminutive creature that chaotic, is mischievous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just, um, and uh, so brownies specifically are sort of, uh, you, can, you can almost compare them to house elves. 
from Harry okay. Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, they are not not enslaved. They will like in, like in Harry Potter, house elves are Dobby magically is, enslaved. Yeah, Dobby is quite definitively not yeah. a free individual. In well, until he gets the sock. Until, oh my God, Archie's Dobby. Uh, <laughs> oh, he's gotten the sock many a time. Uh, got my dog. He stole my sock this morning. Exactly. Um, he's adorable though. Uh, he'll be. He'll probably be up here at some point. Um, but so brownies are uh, a sort of goblin, in my opinion. That it they will live in your home, mm-hmm. and they'll they'll mess with you a little bit. They might like move your shoes, um, you know, misplace your glasses. But if you you know, for example, leave a plate of cheese out for them at mm-hmm. night, then they might clean up your kitchen. Um, little stuff like that. So they're, it's kind of thing that, like, you, as long as you treat them well, mm-hmm. they're fine. But then if you treat them poorly, you get a situation like with gremlins, where they turn into a bit of a monstrous entity. Now, here's my follow-up question. Why the no thanking, specifically? That's what I was about to Okay. Just <laughs> what sure. happens, Piper? It, when you say thank you to a fae, it immediately implies that um, you are indebted to them. So, because I said, oh, thank you, they're like, awesome, cool, you owe me a favor. And when they're ready to call in that favor, you might not necessarily have a say on what they call it in or how they call it in. Right. So, kind of like the law of surprise from The Witcher. Um. Got it. We all know how well that one worked out. <laughs> Very well. <laughs> this goes great. great. I meant more the first one, not the second one. <laughs> all right, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> second one we love. The first one, well... Oh Could have gone better. It's uh, I, I watched some uh, some background videos. Kings and Generals has a uh, like warriors and wizards channel now, mm-hmm. where they talk about the lore behind things like uh, Lord of the Rings and The Witcher and everything, which I think is phenomenal. I love it. I love Kings and Generals so much. Mm-hmm. Fantastic YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, so that, that's that's exactly the thing though is the whole don't think the faith thing. A lot of people seem to like. I, I see a lot of people who are you know. Well, why? And there's never really a good explanation on TikTok. It's always like, you're just not supposed to. And I love that you actually gave us one because it's like, you know, then it's the debt thing. So it's kind of like uh, inviting a vampire in. Got it. Same Christian same saying, idea. where can I get one and do they shovel snow? What, a brownie? Uh, just a, a That's probably what he was talking yeah. about. Um, I, I don't know that you could get a brownie that would have the stature to shovel snow. Yeah, it could be a collection of brownies. <laughs> a, l- a large number of brownies. You also have to worry about being a hobgoblin. You, do you remember the Spiderwick Chronicles? Was that something that you read, or was that before your time? Because I know it was... You're, you're a couple years older than us, so I don't know who it really hit. Yeah, so, so, shockingly, Piper is 30. Um, <laughs> just not look it. Uh, <laughs> I would never have expected you were above the age of maybe 24 at most. Yeah, it's... Like, it's the fey youth, I'm telling exactly. you. Don't, don't tell the be. others. What, what's actually going on here is she is one of them. Um, ah, so I can't This is an elaborate her. ruse. So we can't thank her for we being can't on thank the podcast. Her. We can't thank Got her it. for being okay. on the podcast. Um, it was very kind Y'all of you. It was very kind of you. We're, yeah, it was very nice. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so... But to, to slip back into what we were doing with the, the, the creation question, um, mm. what really sparked a... A, re- a rejuvenated interest in the idea of creation and in Christian theology, the specific way in which God creates was reading. Um, I haven't finished it yet, but starting to read the Silmarillion mm. and you get the, the music of the Anur and this creation process by which uh, 
Eru Iluvatar is creating the world through him, uh, through his themes hmm. and the other uh, the other deity figures singing along with him. And then you get uh, it's Melkor, right? I'm just you keep going, and then I'll jump in afterwards. Okay, I think it's Melkor, if I remember correctly. Uh, has a he he sings his own theme, and it causes discord. And out of the discord erupts um, things that are dark and monstrous and whatnot. So that got me thinking a lot about you know well what about what about the Bible and the way in which God creates the world and uh, you know we get this creation in six days, God rests on the seventh, but the first day is before the sun is created. So how can we possibly have days? And like it, it launched this whole new way of looking at at Genesis and creation, yeah, um, which, you know, I think was part of the reason that I ended up getting my, my minor in it. Um, Penn State didn't offer a major, sadly. But um, but that's that's one of my favorite, like, things about Tolkien specifically is you get such interesting bridges into mm. Christian theology through works that he says are not allegorical. Uh, <laughs> for a man that hates allegory, there's a lot of accidental allegory. <laughs> Maybe he's just covering his own tracks just to make sure that people don't, like, assume things of his work that he maybe wasn't. I think he was more concerned about the political allegory than he was the theological allegory, personally. But, Piper, you you said you you have thoughts? I just love creation lore, and specifically biblical creation, um, the story for it. The concept of speaking something into existence, ex nihilio, Mm -hmm. is something that I love so much, and it's part of why I hinge on the idea of names and the weight of names and also the fey and their value of names, true names, because when God empowered uh, Adam to name things, he was basically giving him dominion over those things. Mm -hmm. And we get that from God himself in the creation lore because he was speaking things into existence by giving them names. So um, and when Tolkien does it through music, it's lovely. It's not as powerful as OG best-selling mm-hmm. book of all time, the Bible. Um, <laughs> I, it's my favorite creation story and mm-hmm. as a folklorist. Oh, I agree. I, I just, <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> um, and I would give you that point then that in your love for semantics. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm keeping half a point because <laughs> the, point of, the point of language is still communication. And so in, in naming something... I need you to understand immediately what I'm talking about when I'm talking about something. So I might use the word angel and it would immediately conjure an image in your mind and that would make it accurate communication, even if it's not mm-hmm. the technical, literal definition, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I'm keeping, keeping half that point. Okay. <laughs> I respect it. I'll, Should I pull out a scoreboard? I, I will I will concede the point. <laughs> yeah, cool. I think I think part of the reason I'm so anal about uh, semantics, it, I wasn't always... Um, you've known me a long time. Um, I don't think I was always as bad as I am now, but, uh, it's... Hang on a second here. Uh, Orwell's Politics, <laughs> Politics in the English Language by Orwell, like, made me a radical extremist when it comes to, like, English language and definitions. <laughs> like... Yeah, I mean, it definitely helps to communicate your thoughts accurately, even if that requires communicating thoughts that are incomplete yeah. initially to find the accurate thought in which you're trying to piece together. Because yeah. I know, at least for me, half the time when I'm talking about something, even if I know the subject very well, but I'm exploring a thought or an area of it that I haven't done so before, it'll take me about five minutes of just kind of verbal exploration into my own brain to kind of put together whatever statement it is that I'm trying to say. Because I'll say something and I'll realize, ah, 
three of those words were not the exact accurate thing that I was trying to think or say in that mm-hmm. conveyed message. So I'd be like, wait a second, let me do this, that, or whatever. And then eventually I have a st- statement where I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I think that <laughs> that actually says what I was thinking. But I, I'm 100% wrong. with Tech Aiden on this one. Um, <laughs> yes. I'm, give, I'm I'm taking back the point from Laura. Oh, come on. Um, no, I'm, I'm giving half of it to Tech Aiden and half of it to yes, me. So, so we I, still have it. We still do have the point. <laughs> and Aiden has the and point. And Aiden has the point. It's fair. <laughs> the example I like to use for this is, um, poor taste. Or, have you heard this speech already? Or should, can I give it again? Do Maybe it. you haven't. I'd love to give it. Um, if I say, folklore isn't really my forte. Forte is Italian for louder. Mm-hmm. But you know I'm not. I'm saying that folklore is not my strong point. Yeah. Oh is French for strong point. Mm-hmm. Now, fault is French for strength, but we're saying strong point, which is masculine. And so folklore is not really my fault, does not make sense. And since the point of language is communication, you'd have to go with folklore is my forte, because that's mm-hmm. what people understand. Right. And so even though it's not, it's not the right word, literally, for etymological But it is reasons, the one that people understand. It's the one for communication. And so mm-hmm. even though you're picking your way through it, yeah, that's, where, that's, that's my speech. Yeah. Done. Yeah, I just like I just like to be extremely specific in my language. Um, mm. I, I don't know; it's probably a flaw. Uh, I don't think so. I think it's good, especially in, if you're having a debate or a conversation that requires being precise and mm-hmm. accurate. I think that's good. I also do think because it's not the first time that I've thought about or been made aware of. I think it's really interesting that the colloquial understanding of certain words is sometimes so broadly changed from the actual dictionary definition of it, even if it's a recent thing that's happened or for like a long period of time like Mm -hmm. there are some words i can't remember specifics right now but i remember there were words that i would read in a book or hear somebody say and i'd look up the definition just to kind of like try and understand a little bit better Mm -hmm. and the context in which they used the word was totally different than the actual definition of the word but then you do a little research and you're like oh that representation of that word over time has just drastically changed Mm -hmm. to the point where the dictionary definition is no longer accurate Mm -hmm. which i think is really interesting I also think this is a beautiful segue into Tolkien and his word for elves. Like, go for it. This is the well. Tolkien changed what it means to be an elf, Mm -hmm. and I. This is a great point because now, when someone brings up an elf, or if someone today, if John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt writes a book and he brings up elves, we know he's going to be talking about sexy, tall, ethereal, beautiful, immortal elves because of what Tolkien did. And so even though that's not what elf ever meant, I would say that that doesn't matter. I I think that now we have a new cultural definition of what it means to be an elf, even though um, it's probably closer to nymphor or angelic lore mm-hmm. or what he would have called them. And I I know that Tolkien originally wanted to call them gnomes. And so yeah. I've been meditating on <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot. Like if he if 70 years ago he'd called them gnomes, would I today being like, ah, oh, gnomes, so sexy. Like... <laughs> Could you imagine? Totally possible. That's, yeah, and that's, I think what made Tolkien such a powerful and important author, it's not just the fact that The Lord of the Rings is one of the most beloved trilogies of all time. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a given. But the way in which he just simply changed the landscape of fantasy literature from the more, like, almost, like, like, almost sci-fi of Jules Verne, like the early fantasy works that you see, 
sci-fi and fantasy have the same genesis, and then they just take wildly different paths during the 1940s and 50s. Mm. Um, you know, then you get into, like, uh, that, that's where you start seeing The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and The Silmarillion on one side of things, and Ender's Game on the other side of things. Mm. Um, and I, there's a great, uh, you know, it's obviously people aren't going to love the interviewer, uh, in this case, but Orson Scott Card has a phenomenal interview uh, with Ben Shapiro where they talk almost nothing about politics and entirely about writing um, and sci-fi. And I, I found it fascinating as an author. Mm. I was like, this is this is incredible. And he talks about how the main difference uh, when you're publishing between um, fantasy and sci-fi is that fantasy has trees. And I thought that was one of my favorite descriptions, <laughs> my favorite ways of differentiating between genres. That's really like concise but very accurate and like broadly well, specific. When you think element. about it, like what is the difference between Star Wars and Lord of the Rings? Uh, yeah, trees. There's did you a read lot. Lewis's um, Paralandria? He did a sci-fi series or trilogy. Yeah. So before Narnia, well, in the middle of Narnia, he, he did Paralandria, which is terrible. It did not age well. It does not hold up. There are trees, though. Is it, wait, is it like, what do you mean when you say it doesn't, it didn't age well? <laughs> so, um, this is his concept of like a rocket that would take him to Mars. It was mm-hmm. very much like confusing tin can. I, I could not at all envision what he was, what he was describing. Um, and basically the main character accidentally gets rocketed to Mars and they have an unfallen race of people. So this is still Lewis loves his Christian allegory, mm-hmm. so this was the idea of like Garden of Eden on a planetary scale. Right. And until the MC arrives, they don't have the fall. So the MC is the catalyst for the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's lots of trees, and it's very <laughs> Narnia-esque. It's sci-fi. It's mm-hmm. not good sci-fi though. Oh God. <laughs> I there's, feel like that's most sci-fi. I uh, I listened to a quick episode. I'm trying to remember who it was from. Um, it's slipping my mind at the moment, but uh, it was a YouTube video about uh, the world's oldest sci-fi novel, um, which was written during the Roman Republic period, Mm -hmm. uh, basically by a guy who's, his writing, I can't remember any of the details, I was barely paying attention, but the the gist of it was there was a very popular genre of literature at the time, which was uh, travelogues. Mm. And it was, people would go travel to places and write about the magical things they experienced in Nubia. So vlogging's not even a new thing. Good no. Uh, but much know. like with vlogging, they'd exaggerate everything. Naturally. So And it was um, a lot easier to get away with that back then. Yeah, so, you know, a, a baby elephant becomes this great beast that, you know, is is bigger than a man and stronger than a team of oxen. And, like, you get these crazy things and people talking about battles that never happened um, that aren't recorded anywhere else. Uh, and this this one writer who his name started with an L, I can't remember it. Um, he wrote his own travel log that talks about like an adventure to a foreign planet and the people there are crazy and like it was panned at the time. Everyone hated it and apparently it doesn't hold up well either today. But it's the point is this like the earliest sci-fi novel to ever exist is a mockery of an existing genre. Mm. Um, that the guy got roasted for yeah. because people also at the end of it, he says that you'll find out how they got home from their adventure in the next book. And then he didn't write another book. So rude. But also just wanted to take a quick second to acknowledge the fact that uh, our chat is currently annoyed with us because I may or may not have said, we do not recommend summoning Satan. 
I would not recommend summoning Satan. Either. I wouldn't recommend it either, and that's why we, that's why I said it. And yeah, so I just wanted to give some context of the conversation happening adjacent to this conversation. Uh, <laughs> our... I can't see any comments. Is this a YouTube thing that yeah, I have YouTube to ask those questions? <laughs> yeah, when we get to the uh, what time is it? Uh, it is seven forty nine. Okay, when we get to the uh, the question and answer section in about fifteen minutes, we'll read off the the questions we get to you. Um, but yeah, so just I I want to I want to stay on this Tolkien thing though. Um, one of the other fascinating aspects of this, first of all, is how how much he was kind of bullshitting his way through the book uh, at first, <laughs> just writing down whatever he thought of and then distilling it, which is like um, I, I just think it's so funny that initially uh, Strider was supposed to be Trotter and it was supposed to be Bilbo, not Aragorn, and like there's all these wild changes that he made. Seems like uh, what what I was told by some people who, who focus on Tolkien as their, like, their career, mm -hmm. was that he didn't really know where the story was going prior to the Council at Rivendell, mm -hmm. and then he's like, ah, that's, that's where we're taking it, yeah, and then he had to go back like and rewrite writer. The Hobbit to fit into the Lord of the Rings narrative. Nice. Um, it's really hard to find first edition copies of The Hobbit. I want one so badly. Can I paint a picture of Tolkien? Go for it. Like, in the context of the Inklings, which are, like, C.S. Lewis and then his buddies, mostly of who were, like, theological drinking buddies, this writing group, who would meet the, at this pub, and this is an oversimplification that will piss off the Tolkien community. However, he was a brilliant, wonderful linguist who was just very insecure. Mm -hmm. And so he just wanted the language, and so he had to create this world to support his language, and he kept bringing his story back every week, and the guys were like, would you stop, bring this up to us, just like publish it already, you lame -o. we don't care. Um, and he did this for weeks and weeks and weeks, it turned into months, it turned into forever. And so there's this piece of um, Tolkien and Inkling lore that Don and I have debated. It's my favorite story, and Don is, since it's not a thousand percent verifiable, he's okay with it as Tolkien lore, but he won't stamp it. I think I know what um, you're talking about, and I'm very excited that you're talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so the legend is that because he has this reputation of revisions, 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 he just wanted to create languages and then he built this world around it. He kept coming back with The Hobbit week after week and they're like, we're so sick of The Hobbit. If you bring it up one more time, we will kill you. And he was like, okay, cool. Never again, except for next week and also the week after that and the week after that. <laughs> and so in this piece of um, Inkling's lore, what C.S. Lewis did was he said, hey, buddy, how are you? Would you like to go to a play with me in London? Pop on the next train down from Oxford. I'll see you there. It'll be a real cool time, pal. And Tolkien was like, for sure, you would never deceive me. I'm on the next train. <laughs> um, and then Tolkien got on the train, and it was on his way. And meanwhile, Lewis, uh, clandestine, breaks into his house and steals The Hobbit and ships it off to the publisher so that we could get The Hobbit. And then Tolkien continued to revise it because that, it was not that satisfactorily. Uh, we can't get a first edition. <laughs> but like I said, Don has not stamped, but it is a favorite piece of my Inklings lore. I, I like how um, Don is now the de facto, like, the, the king of Lord of the Rings. Like, his, <laughs> his word is law, and I totally, I'm all for it. Like, it's he was phenomenal when we had him on. Mm. I, I, I made that video, and so many people tagged him in it that I went on a preemptive strike. So I, I, I hit up Don on all forms of social media. I'm like, listen, Don, before you see my video, I have facts. Let me back this up. This is where I took my courses. This is where my professors. This is where I heard my shit. And so his first exposure to me was just me assaulting him through, like, email and Instagram and Twitter and any place I could find him. 
him so I could get out ahead of this TikTok video. Like, I'm not making shit up. I had a professor. <laughs> anyway. I love the, I, I love the interactions between the, this community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this side of the, the content creation community. Yeah. It's, just it's like... a very interesting, but very, like, active and... <laughs> There's a lot of things that happen in this. Little for, group for the that most we part, have. though, I've I've ex- I found it to be very supportive. I don't. Oh, I, yeah. I am not seeing. I've pretty much every attempt I've made to reach out to other people, other content creators, have met with like, yeah, let's talk. Mm. It, it is. There's no like, that's my topic. You can't talk about it. There's no like. I jokingly said something to you about Mothman, but like, <laughs> obviously, I was fine with you doing it. <laughs> Um, Wendigoon, somebody... I asked first. Yeah. Yes, no <laughs> Wendigoon made a, made a post where he was talking about how, like, he gets tagged in a lot of people who do, like, iceberg videos on YouTube, and mm-hmm. then people are like, oh, this is Wendigoon's thing, you can't do that. And he was like, if you want to make an iceberg video, make an iceberg video. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it's, it's a great side of, of the, the content creation community that I feel like there's just not a lot of, um, necessarily competition, and people are much more interested in working together and helping each other build and grow and become better and we can all share in this this space rather than people trying to monopolize it. Yeah, I think and that's I think, fantastic. Well, I think part of that is, and not to dip too far into my psychology background, but I feel like just generally it's because the whole community is a bunch of people who have wanted to talk about mm-hmm. this stuff for ages. So the opportunity that somebody else wants to talk about it with them, they're like, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. please, I need, but yes, give me the outlet, I want it. Exactly. And like, I mean, we're in the same boat. And I, no, I, 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 okay. I was gonna say I agree completely. There's the part I think that all of us we all went through the experience where we were uncool growing mm-hmm. up, and so there's that part of us who's like, I was uncool though. So how come it's popular, or like how come people are talking about it, or how come it's not being gatekept right now because I suffered because I liked this. Like my love for Faye led to me being bullied, etc. So how come now? <laughs> Other people aren't suffering, so there there is an element of that. But I think in general, thanks to TikTok, we're able to connect with other people that can destigmatize our interests mm-hmm. in ways that makes it a lot cooler. Yeah, I think you it's, go. You, you, it's you talk now. Well, I was just gonna say I think that this is a good opportunity to um, to bring up the the elephant in the room, which is uh, that you just published uh, self published a fantasy novel. Um, That's pretty sick. Yep, the night and its moon. There it is. Um, I'm working my way through it right now. <laughs> I have the I have the super super special prior to the first edition because uh, Piper emailed it to oh. me before it was revised. Don't show it to anyone. Aiden. I won't. <laughs> Can he at least show it to me? It's mine. I'm keeping it. Uh, <laughs> I want to read it. But no, it's a uh, it's it's a good book. It is a good book. <laughs> I believe it. But I wanted to talk about it. I think this is a good a good way to segue between the two things because obviously with Tolkien, one of the things that you know it was going on was he was a linguist. He wanted to build his language. The language he was building was basically um, Welsh, if it was cooler. Uh, if we're talking about like Quenya, mm-hmm. um, and it's actually it's not Finnish, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's not a finished language. Also, it's like you can't you can't write or speak it. You yeah. can you can translate into it, but there's it's not a finished language. Sure. Um, but, will finish it. but he went and did this whole world building exercise, which I've done. the The book I'm working on, mm-hmm. um, the I, the one I showed you that I drew the map for. Yes. Um, that one started off as me being in a class. I uh, I was in a religious one of my religious studies classes, and I was like, you know what, I want to write a creation story in the style of Genesis. So I did. It was a writing mm-hmm. exercise. Mm-hmm. 
But then I was like, wait a second, this is a pretty cool world. I'm going to draw a map for it. And then it continued on from there with, mm-hmm. uh, and I got that from, again, Tolkien, wisely I started with a map is one of his, one of the quotes that I think is just so so concise, but also so useful yeah. from him. But that's the, the crazy thing is this entire thing that he did was basically, you know, a, a world building exercise surrounding these languages. Mm. And... Since then, that kind of set the standard in the fantasy genre that you, you have to be pretty meticulous in your world building. Yeah. Like, you, you you will get called out <laughs> if, there are, if there are plot holes in your world building. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's... So, I, so that is probably the one thing that I've noticed. So many people seem to almost overdo it. Mm-hmm. And you get, like, in the first two chapters of a fantasy novel, you get all these weird names and places that you haven't been introduced to, mm-hmm. and... It's they're trying to front load everything so that when you run into it later in the book, and also because when you're first writing, the, what you're doing is the world building. That's the first step. So when you're writing, you get into that world building space, and then you end up front loading everything, not realizing in your head that nobody else knows what you're talking about. So, you know, for me, it's been a very deliberate process of like, all right, I know this exists, mm-hmm. but the audience, the reader, doesn't need to know that until it matters to them. Mm-hmm. So it's as much as I'm excited to get to that part, I don't shove it in there yet and i'm curious for you writing the night in its moon like i know you have a map uh, so i know you started there probably um, but what, what was the process for you like when you when you started this world building exercise so um as a lewis stan um when he was growing up he was also a fucking nerd he and his brother created this 400 year history for a world called Boxen and they built it in a shoebox and they just would write these little stories mm-hmm. about things that happened in Boxen and I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever heard. So um, part of the reason I wanted to do rapid release was so that all four books could be finished before the first one came out so that if there was any plot holes or errors in the magical system or things that happened in political history or geography, all four books could be done and then I could go back and iron those things out. Um, so if you're thinking of doing a series, I I personally like the idea of having all of it finished so you know there won't be <laughs> plot holes. But um, the way that I handled it was just having my MCs be born ignorant. And so as they have questions, they can ask those questions, and those questions can be answered. Mm-hmm. So if you're writing as an omniscient narrator, you do know everything, and then info dumping is kind of required. Mm-hmm. But as an unreliable third-person narrator... I'm allowed to ask questions that the reader will ask, and they can be unraveled at the same time. And did it did it work? In your opinion? I'm, in my opinion, yes. I've yeah. been um, <laughs> highly commented on complimented on my world building. Yeah, it's it, that was one thing I definitely noticed as I was reading the first couple chapters. It doesn't feel like I'm being told about everything at once and trying to synthesize all that information it sounds like you know you're you're introducing us to a world yep not yep. explaining because they the are, whole world they're also introduced to it so as they step in they don't know shit about their world so um as we are slowly exposed to the magical system in the fey and um politics and etc we get to learn as they learn um, that's how I would recommend doing it because I did just, I started another fantasy novel recently and the first three chapters, do you watch Rick and Morty? Uh, when I'm forced to. I'm, <laughs> okay, I, I am in fact a fan of Rick and Morty. I, I do not, okay. I do not watch it of my own free will. <laughs> I certainly do. I will address 
heck, Aiden, then, on this one? Like, starring a piece of toast and Gazorpazor and yeah. coming back for a second season where you're just like, okay, this is nonsense. I'm nodding along. I'm here for it, but none of yeah. this makes sense. Um, this was the track playing through my mind the whole time I was reading these first two chapters. And the, cha- the book I was reading is a best-selling novel, and she's wonderful, and she will cry her way all the way to the bank. So, what? like, who am I to say? But... It can be really distracting when you're just like, yeah, none of this makes sense. None of it matters. And I'm sure that someday if I reread this, I will care. Yeah. To be fair, like, number one, I just want to say this is motivating me. Even though I'm literally in the process of selling my first script, it's motivating me to want to get back into the novel that I've left hanging on chapter eight for ages. Um, Wait, remember yeah. how I wrote a book and just didn't finish it? Again, Wait. why did you not? The amount of times that I've been on... Well, no, I started reworking the lore into... Um, the other one? The new one. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Um, I, I hobbited it. I liked, I liked the original one, though. It was good. I'll probably I wanted to finish see where it, it was going. Yeah. I, that's, the pro- that's what I ran into. Yeah, that's fair. Like, I, I got to a point 150 pages into this book. Like, Microsoft Word pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 150 pages in, I'm like, I completely lost the plot at some point. Yeah. Like, I have no idea where this is going. Yeah. There's a giant monster that crawled out of Tartarus climbing through this giant forest ocean. Mm. To destroy the elves and yep. then probably also human beings on the surface. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I started writing it when I was 18. My goal was I was going to finish it during college, and it was based off of a Tumblr writing prompt. Um, of course. It was literally, no, it was, it was uh, it, write a story about a world in which instead of oceans, there are giant forests. Yeah. And I was going to do a short story. It was going to be 20 pages long. Yeah, and then it just kept growing. And it did not stop there. Um, yeah. I got to really screw with some of my friends' emotions by killing off one of the characters. Mm. That felt fun. Yeah. Um, now I know. Spoiler. Wait, well, I... you're not going to know which character or when it have happens. Have you read any of the I know the I character did? I care about. Because there's there's a there's a character, a double character death that happens in chapter three that, of, of what? Any, of mine. Mm-hmm. That anybody who had read it, be they literally were like, oh my god. Because it's pretty brutal and it's also like kind of sad. Because I love those characters and I'm like, you have to die because it's good for the story. But I don't mm-hmm. want you to. And it's like, that's the fun part of writing. Um, but anyway, the point it's I was trying to make is... Killing people is the murder. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's getting to a point in the story where it's like, I love these characters, but you have to die. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, it's not a good story. Um, I'm, like... I'm, a, I'm very heavy on tragedy and also violence. Just is very prevalent in a lot yeah. of my stories. And it's just because it's good story. You should investigate that by yourself. Um, um, you think I should. <laughs> I think it's... We'll get into that later. But, um, but no, real quick, what I wanted to yeah, say sure. is... In relation to what you were saying about the one book that you were like, you know, there's, you didn't totally agree with some of the elements from it, but it was very successful. What I have found in my research in terms of films, music, books, anything like that, because I am both a producer and a consumer, you can't produce things without consuming a vast amount of things prior. What I have found interesting is the correlation between all, not all successful things are of quality. And obviously, mm-hmm. like, you know, Transformers, great example. Not all things of quality are successful. <laughs> exactly. But I think it's really interesting when, because... Also, don't you trash Transformers in my childhood. <laughs> it is entertainment, not art. But that's my that's the point I was getting to, is I think it's really interesting when, whether it's music, whether it's movies, whether it's books, when somebody can take the best of both worlds, when you can provide an entertaining story while also having, like, definitively artistic themes capabilities and things like that because there's oh, who's a good example of an artist that combines both um 
in terms of musicality, just because... I swear to God. I'm not doing... No, I swear. It's not that. But... Better not be. No, it's not going to be him. Relax. Say it! It. Say it. No, because that's actually not. He talks about John Mayer entirely too much. Too much. Way too much. Way too much. Um, <laughs> what was that? Wait, 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 wait. I need to know why the face. No, no, I need no. to know why the face. Because he has a stigma. <laughs> he, he's he got very much. I guarantee you like Taylor Swift. Am I right? I thought you were going to say Taylor Swift was all. Oh, no. no. It's not that I like it. It's not that I like her. I feel yeah. I feel that she is a good creator who understands her audience and is an intelligent. Um, she gets audience psychology in a way that I admire. Yes. What I was actually going to go to was Beyonce. Okay. Uh, because she is someone who, like, quite definitively has just raw talent. She's great at what she does, but she also, if you look at the trajectory of her career, she modified whatever she was making to fit what was popular of mm -hmm. the time. So she went for what's entertaining right now, and how can I utilize my skills to maximize the capability of both elements? And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, if you listen to like early Destiny's Child versus uh, what was her album when she married Jay Z and there was the whole cheating thing. Lemonade? Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. It. If you listen to those two, they're completely different. Neither different. of them sounds like Halo. Yeah. So like it's yeah. that's actually a really good example. I don't think about Beyonce all that much, but yeah, well, she, she was very prevalent in our childhood. She hasn't put out a lot of music recently. That's why I don't blame her. Yeah. <laughs> she's also, fabulously wealthy. She's probably just doing things as she pleases. Yeah, she's living like, life. You know, go, also, go her. I feel like Adele is another good option. She's, yeah. She's incredibly good artistically. And I don't think that she really, like, cultivates or curtails herself much to the entertainment value. But it just so happens that, like, because she's so good and so gifted musically, she has an innate understanding. And, I mean... I'm just coming at this from an external perspective. She could have producers that are influencing decisions that she makes within the creative process to, you know, fit things better. But you have a point. Go ahead. I would say the opposite of your point. I mean, that Adele is very talented and that rather than like Beyonce or Taylor Swift or I'd, I've never been to John Mayer concert, but they do um, both what the public wants in terms of production quality and then also their raw talent. Whereas I'm told that if you go to an Adele concert, her music is perfect and beautiful, but it's quite boring because she does just stand there and sing. And so yeah. she does not mm. tailor towards the psychology of the Very audience in the same perfect. way. Well, yeah, and if you're thinking about what the people want and giving them what they want, I'm mm. not sure that like she's giving them what they need. That's whatever. Yeah. I, I gotta agree with Piper on this one. <laughs> I think yeah. I think what made Adele so like interesting when she came out back in like what 2011. Yeah, man, it's been a long time. Yeah. Um. But yeah, when she first came out, it was like Rolling in the Deep was not. That wasn't even her was, first album. I, I know, but that was like the that was the big one. Yeah, you know, that was the one that launched her career. Yeah, that was not Justin Bieber. That was mm -hmm. not Taylor Swift. That it was like it was not Maroon Five. It was not you know Christina Aguilera. It was not any of the stuff that was popular at the time. Yeah. It was its own genre, and it broke into the top forty without asking. <laughs> Just completely like paved over everything and became this super special new pop music genre. And because you made that point, and because we brought him up, I have to address oh, good the God. fact that he is, in fact, <laughs> a very similar because John was never, he was never part of the mainstream. He always was tangential, but the man has seven Grammys. And mm -hmm. the funny thing is, is like, I, so I love... It's an impressive amount of Grammys. I know. It's the same as Prince. I know. Like, how many um, grandpas? It's, it's, it's pretty impressive, right? So, but the reason, so I started getting into John Mayer a year ago... First through his interviews, before I understood, or like we got, got into his music, because I'm really big into guitar. I love, you know, playing guitar. I'm not 
amazing at it, but He's I'm working my way there. Um, He's anyway, self-taught. He's way so, self-deprecating right now. Besides <laughs> the point. Um, what I found interesting about him, especially in terms of his interviews, uh, before I even understood how incredibly good a guitar he was, was that he both understood that he was outside of the mainstream, he always was making music that was never popular or like of the main entertainment factor, and he also had a fundamental understanding of the audience in terms of, I know that when I make this song with four to six chords in it, it's more than likely going to be a lot better than the 124 chord monster that I write for myself. And so like at... A lot of chords. Yeah, it's him. <laughs> he just there doesn't have any chords. I have no idea. I don't think there's that many chords. But he may have been uh, being a little bit hyperbolic in that statement. But the point is, is that like, but I, I'm sorry, you've listened to Wait Until Tomorrow. He hits notes that don't exist. <laughs> it's, you know, but the point being is that I think it's really interesting <laughs> when an artist is capable of compartmentalizing and being totally okay with the fact that it's like, yeah, this this thing is for the people because I know they're going to enjoy them. Mm. This is for myself and the niche audience who cares. And I love that because we're, we right now are that. And I think that's yeah. fun. I wonder sometimes no. if we'd be more popular and more lucrative if we just did what the people wanted. What do the people want? What, the the, people. what sorry, do the people want? You already want do you? what the people want. Well, I, yes, exactly. I modify my body to please our <laughs> rabid fan base. Um, but I, it is 810. I want to uh, get ready yeah. to move the Question time. Um, Q&A. But Piper, is there anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? Yeah, good, great question. Mm, Obviously, within the know. bounds and constraints of a show that like, has an hour and a half runtime. Well, we just went on a twenty-minute tangent about music. That's so, true. Like, that's true. I think it's we sure. Well, y'all did. I mean, I, I contributed. Um, this is, I think, probably the best piece of literature in the history of no. Okay, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, what I wanted, what I wanted to do really quick is pep talk people. If sure, that's okay. Um, yeah, go for it. Sure. So there's this huge stigma with um, self-publishing where people are like, no, I don't want to do it unless a traditional publisher picks it up. And I think that's so silly. Why should a trusty old corporation decide whether or not you get to tell your story? So I did this with no resources and it hit number one bestseller in like several countries, all the Barnes and Noble lists and on Amazon for a couple days. So um, fuck, self-publish, do what you want to do, tell your story. Um, I will have cooler announcements regarding whether or not because the thing is, and I had this argument with my friend where she said, if you self-publish, you stigmatize yourself so then this traditional publisher can never pick you up. I don't think that's true. <laughs> and I'll tell you more on that in a different day. Okay. I'm excited to hear more Only that. so much that can be said. This is how I feel when people ask me questions about Freemasonry. There's uh, <laughs> a question I can answer on another day, and then mm -hmm. I won't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so shall we transition yeah, to the Super Chats? I think it's time to go to, to the Q&A. Uh, just for anybody who is new, the way we do this, um, obviously, since Super Chats are paid, we answer those first. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we get through all of the Super Chats and there's time left over, we answer questions that are not Super Chats. But we feel like it's only fair to the people that are, uh, you know, monetarily, financially supporting the show that they get uh, first priority on that end. Um, That's a risk. You got some yeah. weird flack for that. At times, and I'm like, would you prefer I ignore it? Like, what, what no, these are our major deities, our minor deities, and our lesser fae. <laughs> there we go. Deities. Perfect. Golden. Okay. Uh, so, so what first, do we got? The first one we got is from Alex Halpin for ten dollars. Thank you Thank very you much. Alex. It says, "Hi, hot people. You guys are the best. Love watching live after milking the cow." And I believe that, in fact, is in relation to an actual cow. I, I hope so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Either way, I'm yeah. flattered. Yeah. Uh, 
they followed up with a twenty dollar uh, question saying, "What is the most dangerous fit?" Ooh, that's a good one. That's a very complicated one. I mean, I have I, yeah. I have I have my classic answer. I mean, we go, know what go, I you go first. One hundred percent, I go with whatever the hell this flesh pedestrian nonsense is. Yeah, that's valid. Um, this, this this creature, because like I think about it, and like this is a a a motif throughout the world in in folklore from all sorts of different groups across the continents that all of them have something along the lines of something that is taller than humans with these uh, long, slender features that's super fast, super strong, and likes to eat people. Um, and that, you know, a lot of in a lot of these traditions, they have superhuman abilities, such as they're very good at ventriloquism and mimicry, um, and they live either in the forests or underground in caves, and, uh, you know, it's the, the whole missing 401 phenomenon that we talk about all the time. Um, you know, that basically these, these creatures allegedly will kidnap and eat people who get off too far off the beaten path, uh, and they will never be heard from again. And I find that terrifying, personally, because there's, like, no... It, it's the fact that in almost all of these traditions, it gets you before you have any possibility of knowing it's there. I think that's what, that's what makes it so scary to me. I have a different answer. Go for it. I have a sharks versus hippos answer. Um... That is the most dangerous if you find it. But if we're going with what are more people going to encounter and die from or mm -hmm. be harmed from, the numbers in terms of like, what is it? Four people die from great whites per year versus mm -hmm. however many die per hippos. I could have picked it. Everybody picked house dogs or something. Like what makes it the most dangerous fate? Is it the number of fatalities annually? Is mm -hmm. it the number of like souls lost? Because then I'll quote again, Lewis as a Lewis Stan in terms of demonology, mm -hmm. he has this quote, um, murder is no better than cards. If cards will do the trick in terms of like ways you can wander off the path into a fey realm or a demonic realm or, and again, demon is the word that becomes a lot of baggage, but I just think it's a lot easier to stumble into death or stumble into danger. Mm -hmm. Not with, not with the Slender Man category, but with a thousand other categories. <laughs> so, um, I think all fair are very dangerous. Okay. <laughs> all of them? Uh, are no. There, are, there yes. any, are, are there any benevolent ones that you would be like, this is one that you would you should be friends with? There are almost none that are like, I'm solely good in the way that humans deem good. Almost mm -hmm. all fair are morally neutral at best. And some of them are generous. And some of them are funny or silly. Um, but in, like, what we consider to be good, like, would I think that their actions are like, oh, yeah, I can trust you 100% because we have the same definition of morality. I would not say that. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think there's a benevolent fate in that way. Got it. Great answers. I would say so. Okay. Next question is from Captain Alien for four ninety nine. Love you, Captain you. Alien. Uh, I'll, I'll thank a brownie. Please send one. I'll do the research. <laughs> He, we just said not to do that. <laughs> I was also talking about like summoning Satan a little earlier. So why is it that I make all these videos that I'm like, you shouldn't do this thing, and then people are like, I'm gonna do it. That's 100 of my comment section. If I'm like, oh, if you don't want a succubus or incubus, onyx. Like, what is the opposite of onyx? Trying to summon succubus. Like, <laughs> how do I deal with you people? I'm trying to save your souls. Um, the number of people that I'm like. I'm like, it's okay to say skinwalker. You're not supposed to say the Navajo word for it. And people are like, what's the Navajo word? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not telling you. 
They have Google, do they not? <laughs> Apparently. All right. Literally everything where they're, I'm like, this is what you do to prevent against vampires. I'm like, cool, but I want to be turned into immortal sexy vampire. Like, you won't be. You will be a, a blood bag and a pile of pulp. There is no sexy lore outside of pop culture, pretty much. Um, as, anyway. As the guy who's trying most, to manifest the sexy vampire. As the man most commonly uh, victimized by Wendussy comments, I gotta <laughs> agree with you. To be fair, you feed into that just as much as they I do at this point. I didn't originally. But at this originally point, I was like, you should not have relations with the Wendigo. <laughs> yeah, but it now, became such a meme that... If you can't beat him, join him. If you can't beat him, join him. You know, yeah. like... I mean, it, it, you cut, you it, the more a, the more of us... Yes, I did. I did. I, I have descended into madness. We are simply living in a Shugorath-esque realm of nothing makes sense and everything is uncanny. Um, that is the Lore Lodge, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. There, somebody commented on one of my recent videos. They were like, they were like "Is this Aiden's in descent into madness?" And my response was just descent. Yeah, I was <laughs> gonna say like, no, no, no. He, he, this, it's his reveal of madness. My brother in Christ, we are already here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else we got for questions? Did you know that I was utterly insane? Yeah. Plaz uh, for ten dollars says Shin Megami Tensei has a lot of different folklore and mythology representation. All supernatural entities are denoted as demons, but have various classifications. Lots of fey representation. Oh, yeah. No, I would actually, I would agree with this in a way because um, demon is a lens that we look through things. And so if you want to approach everything with caution and suspicion, then in that way that everything would be a demon with greater or lesser powers or abilities. Mm -hmm. I See, I love this because we just filmed a video on demons. Um, he was taking a nap for most of it, but so I don't know how much he absorbed. I pressed, I pressed the record button. You pressed the record button, we've got a couch right there, and he just crashed like, i got i got maybe three hours of sleep last night and i spent all afternoon oh. underneath, underneath a rusty old truck yeah so. but uh but we were talking about demons and the as you can imagine i went into the etymology and like the history and all that and it's um we we talked about mostly like we didn't really go over the um the, the catholic era that much in the video because i um, I can't wait until you start just ripping into Catholicism. Oh God, there's there's a lot there, yeah, but there was this kind of, and I think part of the reason that Fey is such a an interesting and intriguing term is because demon went through kind of the same thing, where everything was a demon if it was outside of the approval of the church. Uh, and this this I can't simply only fault Catholics for it. The Eastern Orthodox did it too, and so did the, the Protestants in Northern Europe. So it's not just Catholics. I will give you guys a pass on this one. Um, but it, it was this thing that just, like, the church, rather than going into the specifics of, well, you know, if you have a commoner who's like, the shaman in the forest told me about elves. They were like, those are demons. <laughs> just don't talk to exactly. them. Yeah. It's not even just religious folk. It's suspicion in mm -hmm. general, I think. Um, the natural instinct is, like, I don't know what's right, but I know what's safe. Yeah. And what's safe is to stay home and not do anything ever. <laughs> I mean, that sounds accurate to me. Well, not if you're home and yeah. a radon problem. Correct. <laughs> as long as you're not in the basement, okay. you're fine. Sure, sure. Listen, uh, I, I don't know why, but there were a lot of commercials about radon when we were kids, and it is burned in my memory. Okay. I thought radon and quicksand were going to be severe problems I had to deal with in adulthood. Well, to be fair, radon is a lot more prevalent, especially in the area in which it, we live, than quicksand. Yeah, is. radon is much more of a problem than quicksand. Yes. Quite definitively. Yeah. What a shame. 
Uh, next is from Plaz again. Uh, what? How bizarre. Oh, how bizarre. <laughs> how bizarre. Uh, Fantasy Wreck, The Phoenix Odyssey by Sean Boyle. Novel tie-in for his fantasy game, Embers of Pyre. It's so post-APOC, it wraps back to high fantasy. Interesting. Oh, ow, I actually, I have, I have not played this, nor have I read it, but I love fantasy that's gone so far. So there are a few different um, categories of movies, TV shows, books now that are like, the world has been bombed into such a nuclear holocaust that we're mm-hmm. so far in the future that we're back into medieval times. Not even like pre-medieval, like prehistoric. Yeah. Almost like um, Rise of Zero Dawn. Or... I haven't played it. <sighs> but, okay. Uh, I, I, I will try it. <laughs> I've got so many games on my list right now. Yeah, it's... Well, well, and that's, if you don't have time for a long plot mm, RPG, then yeah. Okay, oh, no, I, do, I do have time, especially because I stream three nights a week, so if I can do it on stream, I can do it. You can literally make it part of your job. Exactly. Um, you know, that's... Uh, but, uh, God, what was I going to say? Uh, I lost Pre-star it. Pre-star you want to say again? Uh, oh, yeah, that. Atlantis. Well done. Oh, God, we're back to this. We're really hitting all the stops tonight. I don't know how much of my Atlantis content you've watched, but that's my entire theory with it, is, like, there was there was a, a advanced, by comparison, civilization. I'm, I'm familiar with the concept. I haven't seen your videos, but I, I'm yeah. with you on this, actually. Yeah, it's I basically mean... that humanity had advanced to the agricultural stage, perhaps even the seafaring stage, and then some cataclysm wiped us back to the Stone Age. Um I think there's a reason that more like this resonates with us and that it keeps popping up throughout society. And for me, the most common explanation is there's a, the reason that we're all telling this story across all of our cultures is because it happened. So Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I love that little addition. That was great. I love I love talking about Atlantis with folklorists and fantasy authors and everything because like, it's so much more fun than archaeologists. <laughs> archaeologists are like, we don't have evidence. I'm like, I know, but what if we did? Yeah. <laughs> Just because it's as, not there yet. Grad, oh. As a grad student, I taught a, an undergrad class that was um, material culture, so it was a folklore and archaeology overlap class. Mm-hmm. And it was, I was the, I was a teacher, I was a TA, and I was so stressed every day. I was like, okay, guys, this is what we're doing, because archaeologists do not approach things like folklore. No, they do, do not. And, no. <laughs> so me up there, like, we're going to go in with an open mind and open heart, because you cannot disprove lore of the folk, because once they believe in the life, um, yes, we fucking can. Here's the, here are the facts. Right. Now, it to was be a fair, time for Piper. <laughs> to be fair, I do wanna, I do wanna say we are generalizing here. This is a stereotype about archaeologists. We've had some fantastic archaeologists on the show oh, who have been sure. I'm phenomenal. My yeah. specific experience. Yeah. I, I just wanted to throw the disclaimer out there. Yeah, just in case. We have, we have, uh, we have a good friend of the show who is a, a very open-minded and, uh, you know. Um, yeah, he's he's very much a skeptic, but he's also like willing to have the conversations, and I think that's great. And obviously, we're talking about Mini Minutemen. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, do we have more questions? We do. History Daddy for five pounds. Thank you, History Daddy. That's like six dollars. Uh, thoughts on <laughs> Andreza Sapkowski, H.G. Wells, and H.B. Lovecraft in comparison to Tolkien? Did you also just mispronounce? The oh, absolutely. Author of the Witcher's name. I did because you I did, didn't know yeah. how to pronounce it. I love the show. I haven't looked into the books yet. Bear with me. I'm working my way back. I went show, game, I'll get the books eventually. Um, wrong direction. Well... You're fine. Listen, no, we're not going to gatekeep experience. If he approached it from Next. any direction, 
I will gate keep it because Henry Cavill existed in it, and now <laughs> I'm I following that trail. I, I gatekeep so solely when it's him. Yeah, that's fair. You're, okay, you're allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I simply, I I simply must make fun of him at all possible yeah, You're allowed to do that too now. It, you're a friend. If you're not doing uh, anything next Saturday evening, we're having a roast of myself and Aiden. Um, we're going to get like destroyed. Oh, we're going to get torn apart. Oh, fuck. She's a, it's she, gonna be live streamed. I mean, she, she's gonna get into me about the John Mayer yeah. shit, just like everyone live else. Live streamed on this channel. Uh, um, also, self-published, completely agree with Piper. So, yeah. Addition there. Already love History Daddy. Here we go. History Daddy's great. Um, he was on the show last weekend. Yep. <laughs> uh, you, do you want to take the question first? I don't. I, th I think she means you. I know. Do you want to reread it? Oh, I here. I'll we, take it. You you compile your answer while I go. Sure. Yeah. So you were talking about Sapkowski and Witcher and all of these. Um, I don't, I don't. You listed about three of them compared to Tolkien, and Witcher tackles monster lore so much better than Tolkien ever could because Tolkien invented, whereas Sapkowski builds on what exists. Hmm. Um, is that where you would go with it as well? Yeah, I don't know as much about Wells, so I can't really speak to him much. Uh, I, I can't really speak to Wells either. But I, I know that he had quite the impact <laughs> with. With War of the Worlds, uh, <laughs> considering everybody panicked and thought it was real, don't don't do radio broadcasts without telling people it's fiction. Uh, I love that. What a what a performance art for the in, masses. In the Beautiful. nuclear era, do you like? Can you imagine how uh, bad it could be? Right. <laughs> you can say yes, I can, oh, and God. I live for those chaos goblins. Okay, you answer the question, but right, yeah. Tolkien, Tolkien did not have good lore. He invented lore, so yeah. he did not build on real world lore. Okay, so I just want to make sure I had the question yet. Um, so, here's the thing. I, I do love The Witcher. Um, I have not managed to get through all the books, but I have been I have been doing my reading. Um, unfortunately, I have to do it on my phone because I don't have the money for physical copies at the moment. Um, I completely agree with Piper. I, I think he, he's building into... Uh, he's He kind of took a middle ground, whereas Tolkien was inventing this entire world that had never existed before. Mm -hmm. um, Sepkowski? Is that how it's pronounced? Yeah, um, he he took all of these different things, and I think it, it's very pronounced with, like, for example, the Striga uh, in season one of The Witcher. Yeah. Um, I'm going with the show because it's what you recognize. Correct. Um, so the Striga, uh, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the other monsters he fights. Uh, the Leshy in season two. Yep. These are all act, these are all existing pre-created folklore monsters mm -hmm. that, in some cases, he he definitely does alter them a little bit in certain mm -hmm. cases to fit the story and the narrative, yep. but. They are, you know, he's he's not putting all of his energy into building the world. He's putting his energy in the, into telling the story. In the interest of self-plugging, um, I just recently did a video on my TikTok on the best representations of folklore in pop culture and really bad ones in pop culture, if you're interested. Hmm? I'm, I'm Piper CJ on TikTok for those in the comment section. There is there's a video that tackles good lore in pop culture. That's all. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah, that's a that's a series we've been thinking about doing is Supernatural. Yep. The TV show, just going oh. through and like ranking each episode. <laughs> oh yeah, are we gonna? Hey, are we gonna? Can I just like that? drop a, a quick bomb on Supernatural, like opinion wise? Sure. Yes. First two seasons, brilliant folklore. Fantastic. They changed writers and producers. Terrible folklore. Mm -hmm. The show picked up and took off and did astronomically well. It is one of the like it's one of the only shows to gain more followers in the second half of its viewing or something, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. 
Doesn't make the folklore good, but the first two seasons I can stand behind those. Oh, the first two seasons yeah. were phenomenal. Yeah. That, it, season one. it is one hundred percent what got both of us into this kind of yeah. Thing. Season one yes. through three. I, I even include three into it, uh, even though the demons were way they scarier. Took the spotlights off the Impala sometime in season three, and it pisses me off still to this day. Um, it, it's a very niche thing, but I love that the spotlights on the posts beside the windshield, and they mm-hmm. took them off in season three because the director didn't want them there, and they kept them off. And I hated it. Yeah, I, I, my opinion was always that it got bad after season five when Kripke stepped away uh, for a season or two. Because um, we got a season of way too many feelings and a season of dick jokes. Yeah. Uh, and then it, yeah, I don't think it was savable after that point. I like, I, lo- <laughs> I, just... I, like, I like Misha Collins as a person. Yeah. I didn't enjoy Cass as a character. Oh. I enjoyed Cass. Oh. I enjoyed Cass in seasons four and five. Mm. Oh, where's she going? Uh, she got so excited about a point that she has that no, she lost her AirPods. She lost her AirPods. It happens. It happens to the best of us. There we go. They're back. Please make your excited point. I was just going to say, I love Misha Collins. I love Cass as a character. Terrible angel lore, terrible show. Oh, in God. That point. He's still a great, like, he seems like the coolest person. And also Cass as a character was hilarious. So I think we can separate. These two things are great. The lore was still awful. It, I will never recover from Enochian being a language. Um... <laughs> Because Enoch was written in either Hebrew or Greek. We don't know what the original was. Honestly, Aiden, I'm I'm surprised that that is your tipping point. Because it (laughs) it had gotten so crazy before that. That I, like, it's almost like I'm reminded of um, seeing someone tweet about Dr. Doolittle 2, where his wife represents him in court. And she was like, they'd never allow that. That's a conflict of interest. And, like, he talks to animals. Is your problem with <laughs> in court? So that's yeah, I, that's your limit. I wouldn't say that one was specifically at my limit, but that's the one I couldn't recover from. Yeah, <laughs> that was. I, I was definitely like getting to a point where I was like, "Oh come on, the Mark of Cain." Like, I just can't. I I love the show. I love the actors. I love the characters. But oh my god, by like season thirteen, I was like, please. Just end it so I know what happens. This one though, um, mm. because they canceled the show, they kept canceling it and then giving them only three to five episodes to undo the cancellation. So every time it was canceled, they would end the show with the apocalypse mm-hmm. and it would tie everything up nicely. So you studied film. You can probably speak more to what happens when a show is canceled and then uncanceled in three episodes. So they just had to do some really, really stupid shit. I feel like they could have easily gotten away with uh, not doing that stupid shit if the network had just stopped (laughs) trying to cancel the show. Well, yeah, that's the problem, is the network. The CW... Cancel culture must stop. When the CW does things (laughs) right... When the CW does things right, they do it right. When they don't... All three times that's happened. What 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 are are your CW references? My CW references of things that are, like, good are, well... The first season of Arrow. Yeah, first season of Arrow. Uh, the first, like... DC fan. Okay, yep. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I'm going to bring he this He is a big here. DC fan. Uh, so, yeah, most of Smallville. Um, the first five seasons of Supernatural. And so far, as of right now, I haven't finished the second season up to where it is yet. But I'm not going to lie. Superman and Lois is way too good of a show I am just glad you didn't CW. say something good about Riverdale. Oh, no. If you had said something good about Riverdale, I would have had to end the, the show. Pe- the people who are <laughs> on the show know how chaotically just d- disastrous Somebody it is. pointed out to me that Euphoria is M-rated Riverdale. Basically. And 
I have seen exactly seven minutes of Euphoria and not from the same episode. That's all you need to but say. But that was, I, I, I thought it was a good point. The only episode I've I seen dis- is the first episode oh. of the play thing. Sorry, go ahead. I disagree with the point um, on Euphoria and Riverdale, mostly because Euphoria is allegorical, and I think it's actually quite well done if you're looking at it from an allegory standpoint. All right. Whereas uh, Riverdale is openly chaos, which people <laughs> love. Give no, the people what they want. I do enjoy open but chaos. Is I've only seen one episode of Euphoria. What is it allegorical of? There are so many things. Like let's take um, the character who, since you don't know the names of any characters because you don't watch the show, there's a character who dresses very very slutty. She this is, is our domestic abuse. Um, I think it's Maddie. Uh, Cassie's the blonde one. Yeah, Maddie's I think so. The, the brunette. So I'm talking about Got the brunette. She's the one who is, suffers from domestic abuse. And so what they do is, while domestic abuse, abuse victims are generally portrayed all covered up, hoodies, turtlenecks, she bears everything in the idea that she's covering by showing mm-hmm. because it's, I have nothing to hide. And so there's all these layers where anyone who enjoys engaging in allegorical description and symbolism in TV and media has had so much fun with Euphoria. Mm-hmm. So there are two levels to enjoy it on. If you just want to watch a teen show, that's fine. But if you like symbolism, it is meaty. And that's not something that I think I can say about the second season. I think that was just really, the first season was really, really fun and psychological and could sink your teeth into it. And then once they got money, I think money often ruins creativity yeah. because what drives something is that rather than artistry. Yep. Yeah, which I think is what happens Supernatural. Um, yeah. I think it's an interesting point that you refer to that as allegorical, though, because I, with the psychological background I have, you know, generally abuse victims will go one of two ways, specifically if we're, if you're, we're, we're referencing. Couldn't figure out that word for a second there. Um, it's like obfuscate. <laughs> obfuscate. I, I, I did it. There we go. You did it, too. Um, so I've been practicing in the mirror. Yeah, no, I I'm say it enough times that i got to be able to say it right. Um, but I, I do find that interesting because it really does seem to go one way or the other in terms of sexual abuse victims. They either will, like, shut down in that element, or uh, in some unfortunate cases, it becomes a, a validation element of themselves. Like, that's uh, obviously, you know, generaliza- generalizing here, and that's not the only, like, thing for that track. No, 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 you're so right. I'm specifically referencing how they're portrayed in media. There's pretty much one way that, like, domestic abuse victims are portrayed on TV. And you can spot one right away. Like, oh, her husband beats her on TV. We know this because of her turtleneck and Mm -hmm. the way that she's wearing her hoodie. Yeah. And so the way that the show took things. um, Trying to hide the Got it. That makes sense. Yeah, um, hiding in plain sight, hiding by revealing. I know we're running out of time, so let's do it. I want to make sure I get yes, to all yeah, yeah. the all the super chats. Uh, yeah, okay, we only have a few more. Uh, next one is from Is saying one, we want Archie. Two, Piper, you're absolutely lovely, and I cannot wait to read your book. It sounds and looks amazing. Uh, and then three, stinky men plan the meet meetup. Oh, okay. Well, so we'll do. Yeah, <laughs> Is we'll do that. Archie, where are you? He's, He's over like, here. He's just hanging. Come here. Come here. You've been requested. Oh, the poor boy. Anyone who so reads tired. the book, by the way, will be getting this super special first edition. It's only on the shelves for a little bit longer before it comes off for revision. It's at and Barnes and Noble, other right? reasons that we... hmm? Barnes and Noble, right? Oh, yeah. It's at almost every Barnes and Noble in the U.S. and it's on Amazon. Um, which is also... If you, <laughs> there are like four authors self-published who have gotten into Barnes and Noble. <laughs> um, it's a pretty huge accomplishment. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be picking it up this week. Come here. 
but but you will be getting the version with typos because I did not think anyone in the world would read it. So, hi, Archie. So the version that you buy at Barnes & Noble right now is the super special first edition. That's the version with typos. If you want to wait, you can get the version that's beautiful and perfect and flawless. However, typos are collector's edition. Just get both. Why not? Get both. Oh, my God. I love, I love that. Yes, get mm -hmm. both, please. Uh, next was Captain Alien for Captain Alien for nineteen ninety nine. In all caps, why can I not summon a brownie? I will take one for the team. Well, okay. To be fair, part yeah. of it is that they're they're not really usually associated with summoning rituals, right? No, they aren't. Um, yeah. But in terms of if you want to summon, that's that's part of it. So you can you can summon the Fae. Mm -hmm. um, you can open yourself up to the Fae. And basically, unprotect yourself, open up the veil, let it all in. But the thing is, when you summon the Fae, is you don't know what will greet you. And so you might be picturing a brownie, but what greets you instead is from, like, Pan's Labyrinth-style, very scary... Are you, do you see the eyeball monster that I want you to be seeing right now? He's... Mm -hmm. um, so if you want to do a summoning ritual, you might get a brownie. You might. You might also get this guy. Very similar to uh, the uh, issue of Ouija boards. Um, mm -hmm. People are like, oh, I'm going to use this to contact my dead aunt. And then they get, you know, Balthazar, the demonic <laughs> entity of ancient Babylon. Like You should be honored if Balthazar yeah. <laughs> contacts you because that is a very powerful entity to be reaching out to your Ouija board. <laughs> He's so tired. Oh, Archie? Yeah. Archie's very tired for doing absolutely nothing. I know. No, I was running around with him earlier. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I talked to him about He's being very good. He's all... The last one is from Captain Alien again from 1909 saying, Speaking of the Skinwalker, the last time I drove through the res uh, uh, for work, I said the Navajo name for it about 20 times. Immediately had an uneasy feeling. What? He really, I mean, you brought this upon yourself. Really likes to take one for the team here. <laughs> he's going to stop showing up one, one weekend and we're just going to know. We're yeah. like, All right. Okay, just, he's just gone. Get yourself a blue snow shovel, please. It, we don't know it'll work. He has been dragged to the other world. Um. Yeah. <laughs> what? So the way in which you open up yourself to the face, so you can speak the Skinwalker's name twenty times, which obviously you've already done. So you're you're fucked, my friend. Goodbye. Um, but it's not just him that you invite in because you are now open season. So mm -hmm. your luck just might get worse, and your life might just get strangely and slowly worse. And things might get a little hard. Um, With, sorry. I, I will say, when I first started talking about this stuff on TikTok a year ago, um, there, there was a there was a period, like, mm -hmm. in July and August where I was not sleeping well. Okay. Like, and, and I stopped talking about specifically skinwalkers and wendigos so much. And the, the, the bad dreams went away. Yeah. And I started talking about it more and the bad dreams came back. I was like, ooh. Oh, that's a weird correlation that you don't like. I don't like that. <laughs> I filmed that video and then didn't post it where I was like, all right, guys, the Fae are after me since I've been giving away their secrets on how to protect you from them. <laughs> it's, sitting, it's sitting in my drafts where, like, my luck got a lot worse after I started my how to protect you from the Fae series. <laughs> like, shut up, Piper. <laughs> you can't just be telling them. Yeah. Oh, she can't keep getting away with it. Right, what 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 time we got here? Uh, it is eight forty, and we have one more super chat. We have one more. What is it? That's uh, from Plas for twenty dollars. Thank you very Thank much, Plas. 
Uh, super chatly reminder to go check out Demon Gate High, a TRPG and webcomic also by Sean Boyle, author of aforementioned Phoenix Odyssey. Modern fantasy with lots of mythology, folklore, and anime references. Also, Wendigo. Did he say mm. anime? Yes. Oh, careful, calm down. Where's the antidote? <laughs> what, 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 what is the anime reaction? Nothing, nothing. There's a... Are we, are we pro-anime? Are we anti-anime? I'm neutral. He's very animosity. Uh, I got bullied in middle school for not watching anime. So now he's That's not like, how that's supposed to work, Piper. No. It's not supposed to go that way. So now he's just locked in on the anti-anime train. <laughs> I will say, I watched you a couple are... episodes of Attack on Titan and it was very well done. Yeah. Um, I just can't... Could I, could, I post, could, could I talk you into, like, Castlevania? Like, uh... I've been considering watching The Witcher 1. The Witcher one is just a movie. It's a minor commitment. It's Nightmare of the Wolf. is so good. It's so good. I would stake my reputation on you will enjoy it. Okay. All right. I will. Because you have given it such a, a huge endorsement, I will take a look at it. And I, I am open to changing my opinion about anime. I just have some, some mental scars associated with being 13. <laughs> I, just, I just have a tough time getting past the, like, hyper, like... Dial turned up to eleven emotions and reactions. The, so the, the hypersexuality can also be a bit over the top for me. Haven't too. encountered that yet. It's more along the lines of the, just like the way people speak. But yes, we there are that. very different production styles. And I, I I lived in Asia for several years, and um, so I feel like I'm a neutral party and just describing that there are production different production styles in the way that you produce something in the Eastern Hemisphere and the Western Hemisphere. Mm -hmm. And so I think a better gateway for you might be Western anime where Nightmare of the Wolf is and Castlevania is. So if okay. you don't like anime, then Eastern Hemisphere anime will not be up your alley. But if you want a gateway drug anime... I really I, dig the I, Miyazaki I, movies. I do love Miyazaki. Those are great. I, mean, I think I the like, problem is people were trying to shove like Neon Evangelion and Sword Art Online down my throat. No, it's not prepared for. <laughs> no. Nightmare of the Wolf is low commitment because it's one movie, and you've already backed yourself with Witcher lore. You can mm -hmm. do this. I believe in you, Laura okay. Aiden, and Tech Aiden. You should watch it together. Cuddle. Like, record yeah, it. Yes. I mean, yeah, that's yeah, fine. We'll well. do that. We were going to do yeah. that anyway. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, also, we got one more from oh, Captain boy. Alien for 1999. Right. It says, fear not, I'm driving through the res again this week. Stay tuned for part two. If you so. hear anything knocking on your back window, no, you didn't. Um, yep. That's one of the things we need to do. There's a couple of uh, Navajo creators um, who do stuff about skinwalkers and Navajo folklore that I want to have. I want to have on, but I've had a hard time getting them scheduled. But I keep trying. It's just, yeah, that's it, tough. Part I think part of it's the time difference because yeah. most of them are out uh, in like Mountain Time or Pacific Time. Well, we're thirteen right. minutes over time, so we should okay. wrap it up. All right. Well, uh, Piper, uh, let's uh, let's let's run through what's uh, social media. What's your website? What's your book? Yeah. So I'm Piper CJ, and that kind of tells you all you need to know. So I'm Piper CJ on TikTok, Piper underscore CJ on Instagram. PiperCJ.com. Um, and this is my book, and I think it's really good. But then again, I'm biased, so don't trust anything <laughs> I have to say about it. Um, and I'm a folklorist. Oh, wait, more paper to flash. I toiled in graduate school for this, so I want to show people that I did this. Anyway, that's all. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> I got to say, I'm, you know, very glad you came on. I, I enjoyed this podcast episode so much. It was, this, this was, was a one great of my episode. Ones. I really enjoyed this it. This is definitely one of my favorite ones that we've done. Yeah. Um, Good. Everyone, absolutely go check out uh, Night and It's Moon at Barnes & Noble, or uh, if you want to wait for the, um, you know, any... any Revised edition. Yeah. Or get both. Um, yeah, or get both. Um, 
you know, that's I uh, go for it. Um, it. It is a good read. It is a genuinely good read, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of themes in there that I think you don't get to see in much modern fantasy. So I I think it's definitely worth it. Um, it, it takes a there's there is a tack taken to the storytelling here and the character perspectives that you don't see in a ton of um, a, a ton of the popular fantasy stuff. Well, you've sold me. Okay, good. So I'm gonna get I'm gonna get the <laughs> misspelled version and the correct grammar version when it comes out as well. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, you know, we'll uh, we'll be in touch about uh, future stuff, and I definitely hear any updates about the uh, the the revised edition and and the next yes. uh, the next. There's gonna be four, right? Four books. Yep, Total. they're all done, and I ha I'll have news for them later this month. There's novellas as well, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and are those on the website? Where can people get the novellas? I... Or are they not released yet? Uh... <laughs> okay, you can't say. Got it. <laughs> In theory, if I were to say something about anything, it might be that there'd be like an exclusive edition by one distributor that would, might include a novella in the back if you buy it from them. But I, of course, couldn't say that. Of course. So yeah. I wouldn't say it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. All right. fair, fair so there are going to be four books total. Uh, look out for them. You know, that's is definitely, definitely worth the buy. Um, or if you can't afford to buy, are they in libraries? They are. <laughs> Life is so funny. <laughs> they are, yeah. So you can get it at libraries. There we go. Perfect. All right. Well, mm -hmm. Piper, thank you so much for coming on. And, uh, Very much so. For those watching, thank you for staying with us, for entertaining our conversation. And uh, we will see you next week. Thank you for coming to the Lore Lodge. Bye. Bye, both Aidens. Bye, folklore fans. <laughs>